Hello everyone, Mike here. Welcome to this prologue to episode 69. This episode was meant to drop over a week ago to sync up with the release of The Deck Collector, which is our featured review. However, Sony UK changed their mind about releasing the film on DVD and have instead opted to rather quietly release the film as an on-demand rental. I'm sure this is going to piss off many of you who prefer a physical copy of the film, you know, you can actually own and put on your shelf, but I, I guess this is a sign of the times, guys. Anyway, obviously, neither I nor my co-host Will Bentley knew this at the time of recording, nor did Jesse Johnson when I interviewed him the other week, um, but at least the film is now out there for you to see, and sh see it you should, as we'll be discussing later. So, on with the show. Take it away, Tosh. This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of the DTV Digest. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me this week is Will Bentley for once. <laughs> Hi. I just checked actually. I think the last time you were on the show was back in February. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean I know you sort you know, it's difficult for you to sort of match up your schedule with our recording times, but you know, good to have you back, mate. Good to have well, you back. Well it's good it's good to be back. I do try and keep uh, I do try and keep informed and up to date, uh, mm -hmm. uh, reading reading the messages and stuff. But I do I, I, I do hate missing out. Cool. Um, and what a show to come back to, because this week we're looking at The Debt Collector, the latest film between uh, Jesse Johnson and Scott Atkins, and we'll be getting into that a bit later on. Not only that, but we'll also have a special exclusive interview that I recorded with Jesse um, last week. That'll be at the end of the show. So as usual, we, uh, we bring you news and reviews of the films which didn't make it to the cinema, went straight to DVD, Blu-ray and streaming media, and we're going to crack on with the DT. TV chart. Hello again, it's Mike from the future of this episode again. Um, obviously the uh, DTV chart is outdated for this episode now, um, as it was recorded at the beginning of August, so um, I'm interjecting with the, um, the more up-to-date version for the weekend of the 12th of August. So at number five we have Carnivore, this um, werewolf of London, it's a low-budget um, werewolf movie. It actually doesn't look too bad, it's by the same people who did the um, Knights of the Damned film. Um, number four is 211, which is one of our featured reviews back in um, the Nicolas Cage episode. And it's dreadful, um, it really is, but it does have a good DVD cover, so we're not surprised it's actually shifting numbers. Uh, number three is Of Gods and Warriors. I actually quite rate this. Um, it's a step in the right direction for the whole uh, Viking sort of genre of films um it's, it's a pretty decent tale of a young woman who finds out her destiny isn't what she thought it was going to be um and it has some pretty decent fight scenes all along the way number two is deep blue sea the long-awaited sequel to deep blue sea um this is very similar it really is a dvd remake of the original uh, dtv remake i should say um Except this time, instead of having sort of giant mako sharks, we've got some bull sharks and some baby bull sharks, so they don't have to keep rendering the, the proper things. 
And at number one is Death of Superman, the latest DC animated film um, featuring the Justice League as well as Superman, of course. This very much follows the um, the story of Darkseid coming to the um, to Earth and wreaking havoc. Uh, I've seen the trailer for this now, and it does look very, very good, very high quality. It's not um, it's not surprising that DC have actually put this out on Blu-ray. So that is a very quick run through of the latest DTV chart. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got four trailers to take a look at. And we're going to start off with a what Dave would call a welcome return to Puppet Master. This is Puppet Master, the Littidus Reich, um, a long-standing staple of Full Moon, um, now being handled by Sunny Laguna. Um, now, this is actually the I think it's either the 12th or the 13th Puppet Master film. It is one of the longest running series of, you know, um, sort of franchise, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it stretches all the way back to the to the mid-80s. But, um, yeah, so instead of Charles Band directing this, is now Sunny Laguna. Uh, I I wasn't too sure about this trailer to begin with. It was it was piling on a bit too much with the scrawl, you know, the... the, 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 the um, the the type on the on the on the on the oh. screen to begin with um, <laughs> there, there was more wrong with it than just that to be fair but carry on <laughs> yeah some of the editing you know doesn't really sort of tell you much about the story but i i like the gusto it's using for the um the special effects there's a lot of sort of practical gore work going on in this um yeah yeah there, there was um <laughs> the, the the warning at the start of the trailer. I'm, I'm glad they put that on. Um, you know, what was it again? This is the most violent film um, you'll ever see. Um, people shouldn't watch it if they have you know yeah. um, weak constitutions or if a delicate nature and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, or well, any taste or discretion. <laughs> I think you probably should avoid it as well. But yeah, I, as for I mean, I, it it seemed reasonably clear to me what. The premise yeah. was and mm-hmm. of, of what was going on um i don't know are you particularly inclined to watch it i kind of am i haven't watched uh, any of the puppet master series i don't think I, i'm pretty sure i've managed to avoid them all yeah I'm kind, I'm kind of interested in this one you know some of them sort of sort of divulge there's prequels which sort of deal with nazi germany and all this sort of stuff you know yeah um this one, with, with this particular director, I'm sort of more interested to sort of see where they might take it. Um, you know, and it also features Michael Parry in there as well, um, who's somebody who's going to come up later in the show, uh, I imagine. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of interested in this. I, I know, um, I, I know for sure that sort of Dave and Rich are going to be all over this. That's for sure. Oh, just their their cup of tea. It's their thing. And if you you know, <coughs> excuse me. Looking down the cast list as well, you know, you've got a few sort of stalwarts of the German genre. You've got Barbara Crampton in there, who is in the wonderful um, We Are Still Here, um, as well as going back to, like, you know, the reanimator films and things like that. Uh, Matthias Ooh. Hughes, you know, is just like one of those guys. It's just always great to see it, any, anything, basically. Ooh. So, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to sort of give this a try, that's for sure. I mean, I, it's, its tongue is planted firmly in its cheek. I Definitely. think it's not it's not 
really it's not setting the bar for like you know cerebral horror in any way <laughs> it's not it's not a quiet oh, no, place is no. it no that's right yeah no it's it's definitely something that's kind of sort of bash its bash its sort of uh, context right over your yeah. head basically yeah Anyway, let's, let's move on to something which is a bit more cerebral, and that is Beirut. Um, this is being released in the UK under the title The Negotiator. Mm. Uh, this stars John Hamm um, of uh, Mad Men and uh, Baby Driver and all that sort of stuff. <coughs> and um, he plays um, an ambassador, or this, uh, like an assistant ambassador from uh, an American ambassador in Beirut um, during the 80s um, when it was a bit more sort of cosmopolitan you know um and not, not, not such a brutal regime uh yeah. then then everything goes sort of tits up um there's, there's a there's something horrible happens at a dinner party uh he ends up being like a washed up sort of like um adjudicator uh, for various companies basically and then he's sort of dragged back in by the cia um to, to help negotiate a deal yeah. um I, i've actually watched the first 20 minutes of this already um and i think it's absolutely fantastic um it's i don't know it's, it's kind of an old-fashioned sort of story you know it, it's not something you sort of see these days but i think you know the production values and everything and the sort of talent in front of the camera just looks superb i think it, it really to me it really i that drew me in the trailer drew me in straight away i think probably you know having grown up and seen you know it was on the news the, the whole, the, you know, growing up in the seventies and seeing Beirut on the news every night, it was just something that I was only ever aware of as some some place with some five sided civil war, mm. you know, yeah, the so city, so, yeah. a city yeah. that was just in chaos and violence the whole time. And it was it was nice to sort of see it, like you say, he was the the, the head of deputy head of mission when it was at a place with you know, you know, like a a real cultural identity and all the rest of it. And he and it's mm. all about the kind of collapse and then going back into sort of try and do that very difficult job in the midst of this kind of horrific sectarian yeah um, basically yeah. everyone's a everyone's a piece of it you know and it's like, yeah. it comes across in the trailer doesn't it so um yeah israel's got all the answers but nobody wants israel to sort of take over and yeah sort of things like that so. yeah and it's just that there's really i think it's just a clever bit of editing for a trailer i just thought you know mm. of all the ones that i watched for for this show there's a bit mm. where like you say he's he's there you know, it sort of shows him there working. You know, in the in the, you know, doing his doing his job. You know, back in the day when he was when there was a diplomatic mission there and stuff. And then, obviously, like that event happens that you, you were mentioning. I don't really mm. want to give away any spoilers. And he he looks out the window and it's like Beirut now, and it and it really looks like something from some post-apocalyptic. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like because it's just there, there isn't a single building that's not completely smashed to pieces by artillery fire and stuff oh, exactly. and it's like, I mean, you, you could easily sort of switch out beirut and put syria couldn't you and it'd be yeah a very similar sort of story um yeah i i, I think this looks fantastic um yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to this coming out i think it comes out in september or october uh, as the negotiator uh, moving into our third film, this is detective d the four heavenly kings now this is actually the third detective d film to come out um the first one was called uh, I think it was like the mystery of the phantom flame. Then they did a prequel called Young Detective D. Um, I can't remember the, what it was to do with something Sea Dragon or something. And now we got this one, which is like a proper sequel to the first one. Um, I, I actually didn't like the first film uh, very much. It looked great, but it wasn't particularly involving. It was like, very convoluted. This is a much better um, film. I've, I've actually seen this. Uh, had it to review for my other website and um 
the story is much more compelling. It's a lot clearer what's going on. Um, you know, the visuals are just amazing for this film. They really are. It's a shame that we're not getting it in 3D because mm. it was it was it was filmed for 3D uh, in mm. in China. Um, but you know. I, I'm when I when I move house, I'm looking forward to sort of upgrading to like Ultra HD and things like that. And and this film is going to pop under mm. that, under, you know, on that sort of screen. Um, yeah, it looks great. So this Detective D, um, obviously, you're a bit more au fait with mm. it than me, having basically only just watched the trailer for yeah. you know for this and film. The, and the trailer <laughs> doesn't really I mean. spell a lot of what's going on. What, what, what happens in this film is. Um, Detective D, he's like the, the the Emperor's chief investigator, basically, and right, gotcha. um, and he's bestowed by the Emperor with this thing called the Dragon Taming Mace, a sort of mystical sort of weapon, and and the Empress gets really sort of wound up by it. She thinks that he's sort of you know the Emperor's sort of overstepped himself. He's given D too much power with this weapon, so she conspires to sort of get it back, you know, and try and sort of like Ooh. show him up a bit. Um, so she hires these um, sort of mystics, these these sort of sorcerer guys to um, <coughs> try and get the weapon back from him. And then it turns out there's sort of something else going on behind that as well. Mm, okay. All right. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't actually get any of that from the... No, you don't. You don't get it, it from the trailer at all. No, I mean, I suppose it's, it's odd because, I mean, it was like subtitled and stuff, even though mm. it's all in... in um, in Chinese, um, yeah. but like, I mean, it, it just looked, it looked spectacular. You know, to my mind, it was like uh, someone on the trailer. It's like someone brings a brings a statue of a dragon to life, and then it was yeah. like, like, and it couldn't even really work out whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But it certainly mm. looked pretty. It looked amazing, and you know, I think it's going to be a, a hell of a film to watch. Effects it really wise, is, it's, yeah, you know, it, it's both. You know, it's it's both a visual feast to watch, but also. You know the, the the characters and that are quite compelling as well, and mm. you know it's a bit of humour. You, you don't get the humour through from that trailer either. Mm. Um, but what, one of the things I did like about it as well is the fact that you know he's got all these constables working for him, and they're actually intelligent people who know what they're doing and actually skilled to do their job. You know, oh, right. oh, it's a refreshing <laughs> change. Well, it is, isn't it? You know, you can imagine if it was an American film, they would be all dunderheads. You know, who, yeah. um, you know, yeah. who, who gets shown up by the by the main guy. But you know, it's, it's like, don't worry, boss, we've got this, and they, go and sort of do, you know. they actually come back with results and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's not it's, like it's, the City Watch repeatedly getting their exactly, ass kicked. Yeah, and, and I, when I was watching it, I was like. Holy shit! That's that's actually quite quite decent. Why have never done that before? You know, allowed the other guys to actually sort of, you know, be, yeah. be competent. But yeah, no, it's great. Um, okay, so moving on to our fourth and final trailer this week, I I think I've saved the best to last here. Um, this is called Five Fingers for Marseille. It's a South African film. It's basically a, a western. And it is—it just looks amazing. The the, the, the lighting in this film, um, every scene, the way it's lit is just absolutely spot on. Um, it's directed by a guy called Michael Matthews. I'm not familiar with him. Mm. This is about a character who, um, as a young boy or a young teenager, he kills a police officer, runs away, and then sort of, you know, as an adult, he comes back to this sort of very dodgy sort of lawless town and and stirs shit up basically by the looks of it um it it just looks absolutely fantastic and there's there's a bit in the trailer where it just goes silent and then this guy starts talking about this town and it it, it does sort of you know it gives you shivers up your spine basically just so well done 
Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean, I was really, really intrigued. I wanted to see it. I think, I think because this was like, you know, straight away you can kind of tell this is sort of frontier voice from South Africa, from, uh, you know, well, you know, from the ind- ind- indigenous people sort mm. of uh, telling, and you know, they're this 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 tiny little lawless town. It there were, you know, there's immediately there was a few harkings back to, you know, obviously the the influence of you know white settlers and stuff like that. But it mm. clearly what that wasn't what the film was about in any way it was it was clearly about sort of this town the events that that the you know that the, the young man sparked mm. when he was when he was a child and the, the kind of things coming back now i'll be honest aside I, I i didn't even really you know that was quite oblique that that, that it was him returning after doing yeah you know, after it was only from, the, from the actual dialogue that you got the idea that oh yeah, right, yeah it's, it's him coming back yeah, but like, but it's. I mean, like you say, it just clearly is is a western, and you know, visually, a, quite a stunning one. I mean, it's like you know, obviously, it's quite odd you're looking at a western set in rural South Africa in you know the 20th century, but you know, flipping heck, it's got all of the, you know, all of the hallmarks mm. of of a great western. You know, the the kind of standoffs in the street, the high noon kind of moments. You know, yeah. um, and it just it it really. It's an enigmatic film. I was, I was, I was intrigued. I wanted to see it because I think, even though, it's like, you know, it's not only is it it's a subtitle film because it's it's, it's clearly like, um, you know, Bantu or Hosa or Zulu people, hmm. um, and it's their they're talking, it's their dialogue and stuff. So it's a subtitled film, but it's like, it's it's a very it's from a very strange place, you know, to me as a bloke in the UK, you know, watching it, it would be from a strange place anyway because it's yeah. rural south africa in the 20th century but it's also this kind of surreal crossover hybrid with you know a western like a classic dark western from you know the american the american tradition and it's like blimey that's 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 flipping strange um, yeah. but like you say but, but like you say it just looks beautiful and it looks like it, everyone in it is really just acting their shoes off you know what i mean it's, it, they're, mm. they're really going for it and it looks like a, a hell of a watch yeah, definitely. I, I can't wait for this to come out. Um, I have no idea who's picking this up yet, but um, for God's sake, somebody's got to <laughs> got to get yeah. this film released in the UK. Oh, I know. It and it was it was on at the uh, London Film Festival last year. So you know, hopefully somebody will actually release this. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to go looking for it online. Yeah. Um, yes, it's that that is probably my favourite trailer of the year, and I've seen the trailer for Mandy. So. <laughs> Um, that's, that's all I'll say on that and that is our roundup of trailers for this week so our only review this week is The Debt Collector this is the latest collaboration between Jesse Johnson and Scott Adkins um, in this one Scott plays a character called French who's a British um, ex-military guy trying to set up his own sort of karate dojo in los angeles not getting very far and turning to a friend of his um to see if he can sort of hook him up with some extra extracurricular work shall we say so he's partnered up with a guy called sue played by lewis mandalore and the pair are deck collectors for um, a character called tommy uh, played by vladimir kulich and the film basically just follows these two guys around as they work their way through this list of names, uh, trying to get Tommy's money back for him. Um, the first thing I've got to ask you, Will, um, when, when I sort of like mentioned about this film, you, you know, Scott Atkins and things like that, a film called The Debt Collector, w- without having seen the trailer, were you surprised 
by the levity of the tone of the film. Completely. Um, I I honestly thought that it was going to be you know very dark, um, very sort of serious kind of gangster, you know, gangster drama rather mm. than you know crime caper, which is you know it kind of. I don't want maybe go so far as to say crime caper, but it was it was it was not the it was not the film that you think you'd think it would be. I mean, I didn't actually look at any promotional material for it, mm. um, like posters or anything. But no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be like it was at all. It was, and it did surprise. Because I mean, that's the thing about this. You know, <clears throat> just about everything happens during the daytime in this film. You know, it's not one of these films mm. where it's all set at night and everything mm. like this. It's nothing really sort of somber about it. It's a little bit sort of mm. sleazy at times, but um, this is, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because when um, I, I interviewed Scott about um, Accident Man, you know, he kind of described it as. A bunch of guys just chatting down the pub, you know. Uh, this this yeah. one you could almost describe as yeah, two guys just chatting in a car. Yeah, <laughs> which, oh, which yeah. is a lot of about fifty percent of the film almost is um, yeah. These two guys just going around, just just chatting and sort of you know working through this list of names and things. Um, yeah, it, I, it, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that it would be completely unfair to say that that you know the, the there are moments when you're thinking about Vincent Jules. Um, in yeah. pulp fiction, no, you know, there, 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 because it's, you know, I'm not, it's definitely not, I'm not saying in any way that it's ripping them off or that it's been mm. heavily influenced by. There's a couple of moments when you sort of think, yeah, this is kind of like the day they had, you know, like, sort of not <laughs> totally. Let me mention it because, you know, um, there's a couple of films that sort of me and um, sort of friend of mine sort of thought of. He 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 was um, put in mind of um, the Last Boy Scout, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I and I sort of went, went towards sort of the nice guys or, or kiss kiss bang bang the um, yeah. oh uh, yeah, sort of, yeah yeah so yeah I must admit yeah Vincent Jules that's sort of almost spot on um, mm. except they, they they'd end up just shooting everyone rather than sort yeah of beating exactly. them up, basically <laughs> I mean this is it because you got I mean it is you 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 basically sold it to me when you said oh you know I've got this got this uh, movie to review send me the link you said it was a mismatched buddy movie mismatched buddy sort of gangster movie and then mm. that's exactly what it is i mean it, it almost like kind of made me think of there was a couple that jack lemon and walter matthau did you know centuries oh, yeah. ago you know with the with a kind of you know you've got the very sort of dour walter matthau and the kind of you know the, the sort of mm. irrepressible um jack lemon character it's not exactly the same as that but there was a, there was a nice dynamic between um between the two characters in this and sue's kind of craggy you know no nonsense, you know, old mm. school, looks like hell, hard boiled, drinks too much, ex boxer, and the kind of uptight, quite buttoned down English, um, ex military. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. That worked. That really did work very well. Um, uh, the, the, you know, the two the two characters that, that bounced off each other nicely. I thought, and there was a mm. few nice little jokes and a few moments where they, you know, they're obviously taking the piss out of each other quite a lot and being quite. There's quite a lot of quite a lot of man offs going on, you know, quite a lot of kind of territorial pissing contests going on about who's harder and stuff like that. Yeah. But then every, every now and then the mask would slip and there'd be just like a little a little nod, you know, and a little kind of smirk and it was like it was quite sweet actually. I thought it was quite good. <laughs> it's quite done very well. It's it some interesting I mean, it's some great things. Like you say, you know, sort of Scott's playing the sort of more uptight sort of character. Mm. And it's, I just love the sort of 
exasperation when you know they're supposed to, their first job is supposed to be like really easy or something. And he ends up getting shot at, and he's like, <laughs> this, shit, "I'm getting shot at." And he's like, "Well, yeah, well, did he did he hit you?" He's like, no, but you know, it's the principle of the thing. God. Um, <laughs> and he's like, he buys his suit, buys his new suit. Yeah. And it's yeah. just completely, it's just completely mauled by the end of the day, like yeah. day one. It's just like, in fact, before lunch, wasn't it? it was just... Yeah, basically, yeah. But I did, I did like the fact that, you know, it's, um, Tommy sort of calls him up, because Tommy makes him wear the suit, didn't he? So, so yeah. you know, you're representing me, you got to look smart sort of thing. And of course, he turns up and there's Lewis sort of like just wearing, a, you know, t-shirt or something. Ooh. He's going, oh, okay. oh, you got the suit speech, did you? <laughs> but then he follows up with it, you know, the next day when he when he meets Tommy. He's going, oh, I thought I told you to wear a suit. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you quite understand the um, the nature of the job, Tommy. <laughs> it's like Sue did make it. That was yeah. that was quite funny. Yeah, the fact that what's his name Sue was just laughing at him all day mm. about about that. Yeah. <laughs> It was good. I mean, it's just like you know, from job to job, you know, and his suits like getting worse and worse. I mean, imagine sort of seeing these two guys come through your door. It's like, what, what on earth is yeah. going on here? You know? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, by the end, by the end of the day, you'd be like, you know, like, sorry, I haven't got any change. You know, like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just right, like deck yeah. collectors, and they look as though they need twenty p for a cup of coffee. There's like, <laughs> um a, a couple of interesting things as well as sort of visual things. Um, there's these little bits where. You, when, he, when he pops open the trunk or the the mm. glove compartment, you're kind of expecting him to pull out a weapon, you know, sort of a mm. gun or a sort of shotgun or something. And it's like knuckle dusters, you know, but, yeah. but in a nice little case where they go back to later on. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. So, so it's like, obviously it takes pride <laughs> in his work and his and his equipment and things like that. I thought it was, yeah, uh, it was he had like a he had the little the little cosh thing. That was that that to me was yeah. just weird. It's because it's like you know. In this day and age, everyone's got those telescopic batons, or mm. you know, I mean, the nun- the nunchuck came and went. You know, a few there's been a few kind of handheld, hand-to-hand weapons that have had their day and stuff. But he's mm. he's he's taken it back. Like like his car was a 1950 Coupe de Ville, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, it was something like, along like, those lines. Yeah, and he and he he sort of, you know, he, even his 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 knuckle dusters and the le- he's got like a leather cosh. It's obviously like leather filled with ball bearings or something mm. that's straight out of the 1940s playbook of, you know, <laughs> like some Sam, Sam Slade kind of detective thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it, was yeah. most, it was like, I was looking at it thinking, well, that's probably worth a few quid, you know, that's probably like a classic <laughs> antique. <laughs> you sell it to like the museum of uh, Hardman or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just good yeah. to see someone keeping the old traditions alive, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, another thing I liked about it as well was um, there's a scene where uh, Sue pops into this like little video shop and comes out with this poster that he's really proud of because it was like his his one and only time as a, um, a sort of stuntman or it, mm. he played a ninja in some sort of directed video sort of film and they'd even sort of misspelt the poster <laughs> 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 on the poster they misspelt the name of the film it's just class uh, yeah uh, it's really cool um, okay. I was going to say, yeah, because like they're both both uh, French, and um, Sue's Sue's girlfriend picks up on that hmm. as well. Is that how you spell thrilling? Like... Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, yeah, what, that's it, Sue's girlfriend, because she's, I think she's like an ex porn star, isn't she? And in, in, and she's got like all these posters on her walls of like, yeah. the that she was in and stuff like that. Her, t- her titles were a lot worse than his, because I was like, yeah. I, I noticed that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to mention them because this is a family show. So. Absolutely, yeah. You can, you can press pause and take a take a gander as you go. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so uh, Lewis Mandalore is—I I don't know if he's a an actor you're particularly familiar with. Um, yes and no. As in, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I you know, I don't um, have the vast encyclopedic knowledge oh. of um, yourself, David Rich, on this. But like, I do tend to remember faces, hmm. uh, and I'm certainly aware of his. Um, I just can't. I couldn't place it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, he's. His uh, IMDb page just like keeps going down and down and down, you know. Um, yeah, he, he's he's one of those actors. He's he's been around. He he's actually got three three films out this year alone or, or, um, that that I've come across, um, which is absolutely superb. Uh, one of them called, I think it's been called, Battle of the Drones or Battle Drone or something, which I have uh -huh. actually seen. It's actually really good. It's you your, I was going to say it's your bugbear at the moment, isn't it? Drone mm -hmm. movies. Yeah, but, I was, but it's not those sort of drones, thank God. It's um, <laughs> you know, what it what it is. He um, he plays uh, the head of this sort of like little mercenary group, or sent to this sort of Chernobyl area um, to rescue some equipment. Except really, they've been set up and used as guinea pigs for some sort of new bio weapon that they, oh. they're using. Um, it's, it's definitely worth a look when it, when it eventually comes out. Um, so Lewis Mandalore, I mean, yeah, the, the partnering with um, Scott is absolutely brilliant. Um, apparently, that is, it's weird. It came about quite late. Apparently, Lewis came on board quite late in, you know, to, um, to pre-production. And apparently, um, Jesse had originally wanted or expected um, Scott to do the Sue role. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, and then Scott sort of read it and went, no, no, I'm, I'm more interested in doing uh, French, you know. Sort of yeah, thing. that clearly worked better. I mean, it's it's funny how often yeah. you hear this sort of thing, though, like how mm. often that you, I mean, as a as a complete aside and completely off topic, um, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie were yeah. going to play Jeeves and Worcester the other way around, like as if that would ever have worked. No, that but, wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I digress. But like, I can't, I, I'm not as familiar with Scott Atkins's work as much as you, but could he have pulled off the accent, do you think? Actually, yeah, he could, um, but I, I don't think he'd have played. I don't think he would have got it as laid back. Mm. You know, as, yeah. as he, you know, I don't, I don't think he would have really sort of pulled it off quite the way. Um, you know, this sort of certainly suits him more. Um, the, the other thing as well is is the amount of dialogue that that Scott can actually handle. I mean, this, mm. if you've seen Accident Man, you'd know this already. You know, mm. um, he's more used to uh, as just about every single um, action star mm. is you know they tend to be sort of more sort of stoic monosyllabic mm. sort of characters mm. you know sort of like whereas accident man he has to handle all this sort of narration dialogue as well uh, and this one you got this you know constant banter back and forth yeah. with, um, with, with sue you know there's not many action stars who would be able to pull that off no he did all right if i'm honest i was going to ask you actually the um like the dialogue, like the dialogue in it, the was between them two was brilliant. Hmm. The the dialogue between all the other kind of you know low lifes and you know shit heels that they met hmm. in their in their in their sort of LA day was 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 brilliant. It was it was all convincing. It was all totally convincing. The only bit that kind of you know I felt I actually felt bad for for Adkins because the bits of exposition he had to do at the start was so po faced and stilted. Hmm. Um, that I just didn't. It was like really unfair because he, he was when he was just chatting away with with Sue. He was completely natural and it flowed and you know yeah. it sort of worked and it was convincing. Like, I sort of think that someone there wasn't a lot of options 
there's only a couple of ways that you can go really with you know when you're trying to do exposition like that and you either do a lengthy kind of montage where you do or you do a monologue over the top and like neither one of those ways would have worked for this for this film no. it, would have, it would have jarred so it had to come you know sort of his explanation of who he was and where his motivations were coming from had to be got out of the way before he was driving around in the car with sue because yeah sue is never really going to be that interested in his backstory so he'd never be able to sort of spill his guts sort of that that much so but so the bits they did they, they obviously tried to try and keep it short it just it just it's the only bit of the film that annoyed mm. me a bit was scott atkins's plot exposition at the start was just stilted <laughs> it was just stilted and it just it kind of grated on me a bit yeah but as you say it's probably probably the best of a bad sort of group of, you know a bad yeah. choice but you know, yeah. a group of bad choices basically so yeah yeah uh, um okay so there's one other thing i mean there's a couple of other things i want to talk about uh, one is uh, there's these inserts in the film of the sort of black and white footage of cows. Oh yeah. Um, how 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 did you take that? Um, I I think that the only thing, the only thing for me that didn't work with those was I mean because it, it is it is a fairly heavy-handed metaphor, mm. <laughs> as, as as you can tell as it as it kind of um, as it progresses. Mm. Um, you know I I actually I actually quite liked it. I mean it's a bit of it's a bit of on guard, but. Um, you know, like, um, but I just think that the, um, I think it was almost like a bit too, a bit too labored. I mean, I think, I think that you, you, they worked, it worked as a metaphor for what was going on. Um, but I think that there was, there was a couple of ones where it was, it, to me, it was like they could have done without them and it would, have, it would have still had the effect they wanted. Mm. If you see what I mean, I think they should, and this is just my own personal opinion, but it was a bit like out of nowhere. The, the the scene, like the little pastoral scene with the cows, had no yeah. connection whatsoever to the narrative. But it wouldn't have taken much to to sort of connect it a bit more. Do you know what I mean? To have them being like um, not part of the story, but just something in the real world, rather than because it just suddenly looked like all of a sudden your TV had changed channel spontaneously, yeah. or do you know what I mean? You got you getting interference or something. Mm. Um, but it's like, well, you could you could have them being brought into, you know, at the end of it, just have them being brought into market. Unless I missed that bit and it didn't happen or something. Yeah. It, it did happen and I didn't see it, rather. But that's it. It's like it, it, because it was just so completely separate from the from sort of what was going on. It was a bit sort of you spend too much time wondering, well, what the hell am I looking at cows for? Um, <laughs> whereas whereas actually, I thought what they were trying to do and say with them was really quite clever and quite nice and you know i didn't i didn't hate it what's your feeling on it um yeah it threw, it threw me a bit to begin with um but as it sort of goes on you know and, and sort of the imagery changes mm. um it does sort of add this sort of element of sort of foreboding to the story mm. you know because there's, there's a certain yeah you know you, you start to sort of get this sort of feeling of dread and mm. as you sort of realize what what you're actually watching and what the next mm. next stages are um yeah, yeah. It, only, I mean, when, when when cows are sort of you know getting getting loaded up onto transport, there's pretty much only one there, yeah, <laughs> one outcome, so. isn't there for them really? Basically, so yeah, it's it's um, a bit different, that's for sure. Um, mm. But but um, yeah, would you I, do you I, think I do you think it would have, do you think the film would have suffered anything if you'd taken those inserts out? Um, no, I I think it would still be a good film. 
I, I just I just think this adds a bit more of a sort of directorial motif mm. to the film, mm. you know. So um, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt it at all. But um, yeah, I think, I think sort of, especially with the first few clips, um, people are going to be a bit flummoxed as to what, why is this here, you know. Mm. But eventually, it, it does sort of add up, I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we want to talk about a little bit about other members of the cast as well. Um, because there's some very sort of familiar faces. Um, we've got Michael Parry in there. We did mention him earlier in the show. Um, now he's been around. I mean, I've loved him since you know Streets of Fire. Basically, I still still like that film. Crazy though it is. Um, I mean, it's the only film that tries to make Rick Mor- sorry Rick Moranis look like a tough guy, <laughs> <laughs> which is very strange. It is so strange to watch. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, so that's really cool. Uh, yeah, and he's great. You know, he's only in a sort of a handful of scenes in this, but he, he just adds the right amount of experience and things. You know, um, he, he starts off as uh, one of well, possibly Scott's only um, sort of student at his martial arts school. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, but, business you know, was really terrible, wasn't it? It is pretty bad. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you, you know, and he adds this sort of level of experience to the whole business. You know, um, when you hear him sort of talking about things, yeah, you get a feeling that yeah, this probably isn't. You know, this is the this is the move of a desperate man trying to get into yeah. this line, line of business, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. Uh, Vladimir Kulich, of course, playing Tommy again, only in a handful of scenes, but um, you've seen um, you've seen the Thirteenth Warrior, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we know who that is. Um, yeah, um, it's surprising we don't see see more of him. Really, I think he's absolutely great in this. And uh, you know that little talk he gives at the beginning as well about sort of you know, um, you know, you don't speak, don't, don't look directly at the the person you're dealing with. Just you know, only when you need to sort of look into her eyes, sort of thing. That yeah. was really sort of cool little speech. Um, and then who else you got in there? Oh, of course, Tony Todd. Yes. Um, now apparently, uh, as you'll hear in the interview, um, he he would have given the role to Keith David, Keith David, but um, <laughs> apparently he was already sort of working on something else, so he had to go find somebody else for the role. And of course, you know Tony Todd is just a stalwart of the genre; um, always lifts everything he's he's involved in, basically. Yeah, um, it just it just brings that gravitas to every every scene he's in because you know, it's just, well, it's menace, isn't it? Even though he mm. was sort of. Quite, it's quite interesting because when they turned up and you know he's there. What's his character called? Um, Barbosa. Barbosa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Barbosa is like he's going. Oh, I, you know, I, he's basically asking Tommy to um, find someone for him uh, and, and offering to pay. But it's like, and he's trying to be all jovial and, and the, the more jovial and, and sort of familiar he tries to be, hmm. the more menacing he is because you just think, well, this, this is all. This is all lies, isn't it? You know, you're, you're a very violent, unpredictable man. <laughs> and, well, that's uh, it. And, and you know, everyone's seen Scarface and all the rest of it. You know, we we know how these things go. The Godfather. You know, yeah. as you say, the more jovial and relaxed people are, the actually the more yeah. tight, tense, and sort yeah. of looking around that everyone is. You know, so more paranoid yeah. you're going to be, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, there's another actor I just want to mention. Um, the bit at the beginning, the the three guys who turn up at the dojo. Mm. Um, there's there's one guy in particular who um, sort of the, the main sort of Asian guy who comes in. He was recently in a, in a short film that that we watched um, called Blindsided, 
um, the blind side of the game even. And I'm just sort of looking up his name. Um, let's go. Did I watch that? I don't think so. I'll, I'll send you the link though because it's, uh, yeah. it's. You might have seen the the original short, but they've they've extended it to the, it's almost an hour long now. Oh. Um, <laughs> if you like things like you know, um, um, was it Blind Fury? Oh yeah, well Rucker Howard. Rucker Howard is it's like that basically. Well, there's Blind Fury yeah. and Blind Eagle. Yeah. Uh, Blind Blind Eagle was where he was the, the he was like an airman or a chopper pilot in Vietnam. Right. And he gets shot yeah. down. And, have you seen that one? It's awesome. He gets blinded. This is uh, Rucker Howard back in the seventies. Yeah. Seventies. He's he's blinded in the in a, in the when when his plane or chopper goes mm. down, and like the uh, I think the Montagnard people find him. Oh no, that that is Blind Fury. Is that Blind Fury? Yeah, that's that's, that's the, the 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 prologue to to Blind Fury. Yeah. And he gets the sword. They teach him to mm. how to use a sword, and uh, that's that film's mint. I've not seen it in yeah. years. Yeah, but I mean that's the sort of film they're sort of channeling with it with this. Uh, yeah, the actor's called David William No, and um, mm. he's absolutely brilliant. Um, in in Blindsided, he plays like the main henchman, and and he he does get a good little role in here. I think he's he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Um, he's again he's cool. one of these guys who can act and fight, you know, and that's that's pretty rare. So, I think his role was to the role was to get his butt kicked by uh, Scott Adkins yeah, <laughs> in, the, in this in this one. That was a that was the first of many really impressive action set pieces in this film. Actually, I I really. Um, that that was good that first one because it was well it was all by the rules wasn't it basically it was well that's a, right yeah and that's when the rules go out the window after that it was like yeah um, because what, he even gave them like he even gave them ice for their noses and stuff and, yeah that's like, right yeah afterwards. I didn't do that again yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah but it's interesting you know the fighting style that he uses in this it's it's a lot more sort of grounded than mm. um, you know there's no sort of triple spinning aerial kicks or anything oh. going on here you know this is all sort of very grounded and the, the other thing i liked as well you know his character is uh is um ex-commando and you do get the sense Paris, at the end of the Paris film, now. Get it right. Paris. yeah he's, he's ex -Paris. yeah so um <laughs> you know his 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 background is that he's um you know from the powers and you know when, when you get the sort of climactic battle at the end you do you do actually get a feel that yes, he he has had that sort of training, you know, um, the the way he moves, the way he carries his weapons, and things like that. You think, yeah, this this is definitely someone who's relying back on his his training as as a soldier. He looked a lot more, in, to be fair, in that in that firefight. Obviously, you don't want to sort of you know like do spoilers and stuff, but he looked a lot more comfortable with that situation than Sue did, for example. Yeah. Or any of the other any of the other guys, because like yeah, because he actually had had to do it and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you know it was um, all the way through. I mean, like his fighting style was was a, was fairly convincing, um, kind of mili military. It's quite economical, wasn't it? There was no, like yeah. I say, there was no flamboyant sort of wasted energy or movement in it. Um, it was all just very effective and brutal. Um, you know, which is what he'd want to see really if that if he was really the person that you know his character was supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of other things. One was, you know, he's thrown into this, and, it, and it, it's funny that the whole film just takes place over one weekend. You know, so he's, he's thrown in this. This is like his weekend job. You know, so he wants Ooh. to run this dojo, and that's why he's do, he's he's doing this, doing money for that. Um, 
But, you know, as for, for as much as he gets uptight and exasperated and argues and things, you know, um, sort of Sue pegs him quite nicely with... Uh, mm. Yeah, but you're kind of enjoying yourself, aren't you? And he's like, well, yeah, I suppose I am. <laughs> you, you know, he's sort of getting to put all his his martial arts prowess into practice, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, I mean, you know, somebody commented online that, you know, I mean... It, so Jesse Johnson wrote the original script quite a while back uh, when he was still a stuntman, basically. And, uh, you know, there's sort of drawn parallels between sort of the professional, the sort of debt collector and being a stuntman where, you know, you're sort of underpaid and sort of treated like shit and sort of yeah. beaten up and thrown through glass windows and all the rest of it. But you kind of come back for more because something, something deep down, tell, you know, you, you like it on that sort yeah. of level. Quite enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I mean, but um, the other thing I want to mention is, is a weird sort of mentality the film picks up on, um, with the people they're sort of chasing down for. You know, they, they all owe Tommy money basically. You know, and, and not small change either. But there's um, like the first guy they, they chase down. You know, and he ends up sort of shooting at them and sort of ju- steals a car and ends up crashing it and ends up in a yeah. lot worse state than yeah. he would have if he just sort of said. I don't have the money or, you know, yeah. take what I have or something. Yeah. And then, and then there's the other guy who's the, um, I think he's like a script screenwriter or something or a lawyer, yeah. the, the Jewish guy. And he's sort of, you know, trying to bribe him. So I've got to give you 10,000 or something. If you go away. And yeah. when he opens the safe, it's like, but you've got the money. What the, <laughs> yeah. why are you going to do this it, shit? It was like, yeah. was it 40 grand? And he's going, yeah. you've got a hundred grand here. <laughs> like, yeah. just, just like, but just give him the money, idiot. Just give him the money instead of getting beaten up by me, you know, and then giving them the money. So, yeah. And he's going, he's going, you're a masochist. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the thing, you know, I don't know, it's, it's weird, you know, um, that sort of mentality think, that comes through. Yeah, not that I would ever, you know, I'd hope I'd never make enough mistakes to end up in debt to you know, yeah. cigar smoking mob boss who lives in East LA. But like, yeah. if I did, it would be my priority. I wouldn't be sat there drinking tea with my, you know, wife mm-hmm. half my age and stuff in my massive house. I'd be like, the first thing I'm going to pay do this guy back. Up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be my first waking thought. <laughs> yeah, that's like literally all I would be thinking about. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Exactly. Especially if I had the money sat there, it's like, what were you busy? Like, yeah. <laughs> you actually left it to the point where this guy sent round his hardest guys to kick the shit yeah. out of you. Yeah. Before and even then, you sort. Of, you you're know, stalling. You're stalling. <laughs> oh, ridiculous! Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so if we're going to score this film uh, out of ten, what are you going to give it? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd happily give this one an eight. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely an 8 out of 10 uh, for yeah. me as well. Um, you'd be glad to hear, um, although it's a completely different story and all the rest of it, different characters, um, that Jesse's next film also stars Scott Atkins and Lewis Mandelore. So obviously it's a partnership that's worked well. They you know they all recognise that and they're going to sort of press on. Uh, Scott's got, well, Scott and Jesse have got another film out in between that called um, Triple Threat which we're all waiting for because it's Scott Atkins plus Tony Jaa plus Iko Uwe from um, the Raid films. Uh, that film is going to be intense. You know, again, you know, sort of completely different kind of film to this, but um, can't wait for that one to come out. But um, in the meantime, The Debt Collector is an 8 out of 10 from me and Will. <laughs> 
Okay, it's the almost last part of the show, so it's down to me and Will to do the washing up. And this week, it's very, very thin pickings. Um, I don't know why, but this is the smallest amount of DTV movies to come out in a long time. Uh, we're going to start with a film called Lament Double, also known as The Double Lover, if um, you look on IMDb. Um, this is a French film uh, directed by Francois Ozon. Um, this is about a young woman called Chloe who starts a relationship with a guy and then after a while starts to realise that she keeps seeing him in places where he says he isn't. So he's weird going on. Um, this is a pretty kinky film. I think I know where this is going. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I mean, I, I won't spoil it too much, but um, yeah, there, there's something weird going on with Paul, her lover, basically. Um because, as I say, she keeps. I mean, the, the title does kind of give it away. But mm. Um, mm, okay. if you were okay. sort of disapp- if you were disappointed with the likes of the uh, Shades of Grey films, and you're looking to get oh, a kink yeah. on a bit, um, I am. this has this goes in some interesting directions, is what I say. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll let you know if it successfully helped me get my kink. <laughs> Uh, yes. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next one. Um, it's called. It's been released in the UK as Apocalypse Day One. Um, it's been released elsewhere. Well, originally it was called The Odyssey of Destiny. God, the I mean, the, those two posters could couldn't be go on, go more on. poles apart, could they? Basically, no. But the Odyssey, not. the Odyssey of Destiny. Well, the I mean Odyssey that. that... I mean, how far up his own ass was the the guy who came up with that title? It doesn't even really mean anything. The Odyssey is a journey. Yeah. So the journey of destiny, but destiny is something that you reach. That you, you... It's inevitable. <sighs> it's one of those. Destin, destiny is something that's inevitable. So it's the journey of something inevitable. Yeah. I mean, it's like. You can't, if you sold that as a holiday plan, people would be like, no, I'll go to Butlins or something instead. Because <laughs> um, the Odyssey of Destiny, that just sounds too bland and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, up, up its own bottom. So. It does. It's two, it's two big words, basically, and I'm not sure they've been used rightly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, this has been released in the UK as Apocalypse Day 1. Um, I'm just going to look this up on IMDb. Well, you see the poster for that. is I mean, straight away, Odyssey of Destiny is... is a young man staring into a young woman's eyes. Yeah. He appears to have some dirt on him. They might be on a beach. It's a soul-searching, you know, French drama. Mm. There's there's quite a lot of looking out of windows at pastoral scenes mm. and not much talking. Apocalypse Day One has got a gas mask with flames reflected in the, the, the mm. lenses and a burning city. So this this is the synopsis for this film. Uh, the world is cloaked in winter. Christian Adkins is a renegade soldier longing for peace and the son of a famed liberator. Jen is an orphaned nurse desperately trying to save children. Um, and when the two soulmates are trapped together at the end of World War Three, their lives are forever entwined. Mm. So bleak post-apocalyptic drama basically is what I'm getting from this. We've had a few of these sort of things recently. There's a French film about two people sort of shacked up in a, in a house while, while everyone else is dying around them, which is, um, you know, pretty bleak as it went as well. Yeah. Not my kind of cup of tea. Um, I'm not surprised they're sort of like trying to make the cover a bit more sort of lurid and exciting, um, but I don't think it's going to be, to be quite it's, honest. 
it, I don't. From what you've just told me, um, burning cities, gas masks with flames reflected in the lenses, sort of don't feature at all. In, in, I in doubt it. I, no. I, I think this is going to be set in like a hospital setting or something like that, and that'll okay. be about it. Yeah, all footage at the best. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to something a bit different. Uh, this is called "It Lives." Um, lots of nice big quotes on the poster. Uh, it was originally called 2024. Um, I suppose it's trying to sort of allude to 1984, mm. I guess, with that sort of title, especially with all those, you know, um, sort cameras. Of cameras, the cameras, screens, and everything. Um, this seems to be mostly a one hander. It's just one guy in this sort of underground bunker system, sort of doing a particular job and slowly losing his mind and thinking, you know, he may not be alone. Um, again, there's been a few films like this, you know, these sort of sort of sci-fi kind of films with sort of very small casts. Um, I don't know. It, it looks okay, you know. Um, it, it, it'll rely on the strength of the, the acting and the writing. Uh, the production values look all right. Oh. So, I, I don't know. It looks nicely shot. But I don't know much more about it other than that. Okay. Okay, I mean, I don't... Yeah, I mean, I... I'd be drawn in from that. I mean, the it doesn't look like it's overselling. Oh, I've just got what the uh, the first poster with all of the um, all of the camera things put together. There's actually a face behind it. Oh yeah. Uh, only <laughs> just, just oh, well. yeah, just seen that. That's just seen clever. that. Hmm. Yeah. See, that's too clever for a UK release. <laughs> so they so that's why they put this, the shambling yeah person coming out of the yeah. corridor with it lives written on it. Yeah. I find that condescending, Mike. I really do. Yeah, cynical maybe, but not condescending well, on my part anyway. But yes, but you're right; it is. It's very condescending by the. Um, I might, I'd, I'd like to watch. I'd, I'd watch that though, because I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I always say to you: the, the less, the less you know about a movie, in some ways, um, mm. the you know the better. But if it's one of those where it's like actually a tedious pile of crap, and you know, it, it, it's remaining enigmatic because the plot is so kind of mediocre <laughs> it doesn't want to give it away i'll be i'll be very annoyed but yeah. um like out of, out of all of them so far i think i probably i definitely won't, won't be rushing to see odyssey of destiny put it that way <laughs> no definitely but i i think i'd probably watch this it lives just because mm-hmm. you know i do like a sci-fi horror so yeah it could be good Okay, um, I, I must admit, I haven't seen the trailer yet for this last one. It's called The Death of Superman. It's the latest DC Universe animated movie. Um, I imagine it's based on the you know, the graphic novel that uh, mm. came out a few years ago. Uh, now, DC, you know, their track record with the live-action movies is pretty shocking. But, you know, nine times out of ten, they get the animated films spot on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... I didn't even I wasn't even aware it was uh, the the Joker's voiced by Mark Hamill isn't he in a lot of their yes um, he is, yeah. you know Mark, Mark Hamill mm-hmm. of Luke Skywalker fame um, who does who who's who's kind of a really sort of unique individual take on the Joker hmm. like compared to all of the live action ones I think he's you know kind of you know done quite well the, those the animated Batman stuff I really enjoy I think it's it's it is very good yeah it's good yeah. but um what did they? How did they manage to sort of just not hit the mark with the live action to the same extent? It's really quite strange. I don't get it. I don't understand yeah, it. Well, they they try to ape the success of the Dark Knight, basically, yeah. 
and decided that it, everything had to be dark and somber. And it wasn't until Wonder Woman that they started to redress the balance a little bit. Mm. And, then, and yeah. then sort of Zack Snyder sort of kept on... Uh, the special effects in those films are oh, just dreadful. The, I mean, the Justice League movie... You didn't, you didn't like it? It's a seriously wasted opportunity. Yeah. It really is. Um, I mean, there's some good bits in it. There really are. But um, overall, the, the, the threat that, that they come up with is just so subpar. Um, what, what's his name? Steppen, uh, Steppen. Steppenwolf, yeah. But you mm. compare him to Thanos in, in um, mm. Infinity War, and you know, it's, it's like a decade apart. You know, it really is a decade apart in in sort of the way the character is, the way he speaks, and everything. You know, his motivations. It, 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 oh, mm. you know, or lack of thereof. You know. So, yeah. Anyway. No, it's just odd. But it's a shame because I think that it, I think it was so well cast. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, well acted and stuff, um, but it's just like, why did it not seem to have that that kind of factor that the its main rival? Thing? Weird. Anyway, we, we're digressing. We do digress. But um, yes, yeah, so that is our roundup of the films being released this week. Um, very, very small, um, very small pickings. But anyway, um, that is almost the end of the show. Um, the only thing for me to do is to um, introduce the interview that I did with uh, Jesse Johnson, which I shall do at the moment. But um, other than that, I shall say goodbye to Will. Thank you for joining me this week. Absolute pleasure. Hopefully, not too long before I join you again. So it's on to the last part of the show, as we uh, as we promised. This is an interview that I did with um, Jesse Johnson not too long ago. Uh, thanks to Sue Cole and the guys at um, Fighting Spirit for setting this up. Um, one word of warning: the sound quality isn't great. Uh, I did manage to mic up Jesse, but uh, unfortunately, I wasn't wearing a mic. Um, so while Jesse sounds great, I sound echoey and unintelligible at times. Um, I've managed to sort of cut out a lot of the background noise, but there is still a bit. And it does kind of sound like we're in a gym hall, uh, when in fact we were in a quite sort of cosy little uh, meeting room in a very nice part of London um, called London Fields. So anyway, um, enjoy the interview. Don't forget the film is available on video on demand um, from places like Amazon, uh, there isn't a physical release, unfortunately, which is a real shame. Um, and obviously we didn't know that at the time of recording, otherwise we would have probably brought it up. But uh, Jesse's a great guy to talk to, and I hope you'll get a lot from this. So enjoy. Um, now this is the third film that you've done with Scott Atkins. Uh, there's a fourth on the way. Um, but what, what sort of drew you to this sort of prolonged collaboration with you? Nothing, you know, initially it was, it, it was simply the, you know, work, you know, and it worked out. Uh, and then somewhere around Accident Man, we realised got on very, very well in terms of bringing out the best in each other, you know, kicking each other. He, he, and it wasn't, it wasn't a lovey-dovey sort of, you know, you know, you know, you're my best friend kind of thing at all. It was quite the opposite. It was acrimonious at times uh, until we found that rhythm, which, which wasn't immediate by any means. Uh, but both of us begrudgingly realized that we somehow, and I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself 
egotistically at all, so I'll be very cautious about the way I handle speaking for Scott. But in, for my part, he brought out uh, the best in my directing by, by, not, by questioning, by forcing me to question what I was doing and why I was choosing to do a certain thing a certain way. And for his part, I didn't let him get away with a lot of things he got away with in the past. Uh, my job as a director, beyond everything else, beyond choosing frames and camera angles and all that stuff, is listening for the truth in the dialogue and listening, listening and making sure that the scene is working. You know, I, sometimes you can close your eyes and you just listen to the way the dialogue is. And if something's not, not, not believable, you say, you know, you know what you work out how it is, and you finesse it. You either change the dialogue, or you have a quick chat with the actor, or, or sometimes as much as a look and a, you know, a sort of like the shake of the head. Or it can get more complex than that, but it's through that process that you find good performance, and you find out what's working. And, and suddenly, there's a moment where you go, oh, "Shit, this is good." And I, I've worked with Scott that way, and I, I, I don't know that he had many directors work with him that way before they'd sort of let him do his own thing and then get back to the action you know bang yeah. kick, kicking and doing what he does and let's rush through the dialogue and all right back to the action here we go uh and that's great if you're making d d grade movies you know that, that need to survive purely for the visceral content and that are going to be you know watched by absolutely probably 90 percent of the people who watch it simply mm. don't speak english and they're watching it for the action but both scott and i want to move beyond that we very 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 much want to get into the the realm of making proper sized movies you know big movies that a lot of people go and see and we he realized uh that he needed to do that by expanding on what he could do as an actor on the kind of characters that he could play on how deep he went with the performance obviously we have to keep the action as vibrant and as live and as uh, imaginative as possible because that's what the audience are coming to scott adkins movie to see that's what they want to see but there's no reason at all why we can't make the other stuff good. And then you realize you've raised the quality of, of the movie and with it the action as well, because now people are actually invested in those characters. Well, it's interesting because um, with uh, Savage Dog, for example, he's playing a very sort of stoic character. Right. Um, and then the last two films, he, he has, his character is very dialogue heavy. A lot of it is, you know, him, his character speaking and, and the rest of it. At what point did you, or you and Scott, sort of get together and realise that he could carry that much? Well, it was something that happened over a course of six or eight months for me. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't worked with Scott before Savage Dog, and my wife, you know, who worked with me at the time, and w went through his movies and said, just be careful, dude, he doesn't look like he's much of an actor. You, this is, this is going to be hard for you. You, you, mm. you, you may, this is not necessarily the direction you want to go. But I saw something else when I watched his movies. I saw, I saw someone who was trying to do better, who was yeah. trying hard, you know, the accents, things like that, you know, for whatever you think, you know, whether it's a, a misstep or a bad direction, you know, what he was trying to do was, was really, really honorable and good. And I thought, if I can work with him, we can both get on the same track, we're going to be able to do something. Uh, with Savage Dog, I didn't want to push him too hard, so we had a character who didn't say very much. It was prepared for an actor who was more of a physical presence, and we did this film. But then I, but there was something else. There was a determination, a steely kind of uh, ambition to Scott that really appealed to me. 
and I knew he had more than was was on display or had been asked for before. But it it, it would take working with him and trusting him. Uh, and he he told me about this script for Accident Man. It was with another director. And he said, it's "Such a shame you, you can't do that. It'd be a good one for us to collaborate on and all that kind of stuff." And I, you know, somewhere down the line, we'll find something to work on. Anyway, the other director. Uh, was not approved by Sony. Something happened. I've done a lot of pictures. I'd already done eight, two pictures for Sony. Mm. They liked my work. It sort of, it, 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 by very, very organic means, it came to be that I was directing the film. And I read the script, and there's all this dialogue, all this voiceover. I'm like, I called him immediately. I'm Scott. I love it. It's fantastic. It was a comic book that I was familiar with. Yeah. I love Pat Mills. Uh, I grew up on 2000 AD and Judge Dredd. My favorite is Slane and Strontium Dog and, you know, Robo Hunter. These were, these were stories that I, 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 they were like my religion. It was suddenly all this stuff was coming out, you know, and I, I, I wanted to do it. But I said, are you sure you want to do all this dialogue? He said, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I'll do it. I'm yeah. like, all right, mate, you know, are you, you know, and so it was Scott and Scott, Scott convinced me he could do it. We got on set and the moment we started filming, you don't look back. I mean, you know, it's, very, very blatantly obvious. He was so inordinately comfortable with that character and had done so much homework. This is a man mm -hmm. who works like a, a fiend. Yeah. He's more disciplined. Uh, he's harder working than any human being in this business I've ever run into. Maybe Tom Cruise comes close and I've worked with Tom Cruise on two or three pictures. The, the amount of homework and research that Scott does is, is, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. he, he, he was so prepared that from the first shot, uh, which was a big dialogue scene, if I remember correctly, in, in his in his apartment in, in Excellent Man. He just didn't think anymore. I didn't. It wasn't. It was. Big, it was no longer a, a point of conjecture. It, he was that character, and he could do it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, oh, that's good. Oh, here we go. So <laughs> and we're on to the next one. Um, um, it was a transformation, and it was all down to him. And, and I think you know, sort of debt collector is the next sort of evolutionary stage from that because totally, now you're yeah. giving them. Uh, um, a, a partner, a foil to sort of bounce off of. So, so well, whereas um, Actor Man was very internal, you know, hearing his internal monologue, now he's got someone who's sort of more experienced and sort of warm um, to sort of play with. And it's, it's a great sort of partnership with Louis Mandelbaum. I'd like to say that was by design. It wasn't at all. It was a script that we both had, we both liked. Mm. Uh, and the fact it was with a partner was cool. We liked that. We didn't know who the hell was going to play it. I thought Scott was going to play uh, yeah, uh, Sue. Yeah. I was uh, when he said, "Okay, well, here are my notes on French." I was like, "French? I thought you, <laughs> French is the supporting character. You don't want to play. You don't want to play Sue." He said, "Nah, nah, I like French better." Uh, and so it took me a day or so, but you don't question. You go, you go with it when you have an actor enthusiastic about a part. You don't, sure, you don't, yeah. you don't sniff, you know, look to check his teeth, you know. Uh, so we we uh, we then started looking for for Sue and and, and uh, Scott's very good friends with another very very capable director uh, uh, who had worked with Louis Mandelor uh, and Scott said what about Louis Mandelor and at the time I, I, I love Louis but I'm not sure if he's right for this I'm just not sure so <laughs> we went through about six weeks of every other person and then finally finally called Louis in and then he was phenomenal he was incredible and it's like it was so obvious it had to be him uh, but but Scott had called it six weeks earlier and uh, and Louis was was very very gracious and very giving and Scott was as well and we, we ended up with a beautiful dynamic between the two of them it's, it's interesting, really, because um, 
I think he's got three films out this year, so, so he's on a bit of a roll. I mean, he's been around for Lewis. Ever. So Lewis. Is yeah, that, so yeah. I always have this problem with um, people's names because obviously they're written down. I never actually hear a spoken. Right, right. You know, so, yeah. Well, I worked with his brother. I worked with Costas on Beowulf, and so I, I knew I knew them quite well. And Costas actually came out to visit me when I was making my first film. Mm. You know, ten. What, 15 years ago, uh, uh, and he came and visited, and I chatted with him. He's very giving, and I, I love both of the brothers. There, these are tough guys. These are not these are not softies. These are guys that will throw a punch. They'll have two-fisted drinkers. They'll talk psychology and, and poetry. And Lewis is a painter as well, but he's an ex-Golden Gloves Prize fighter who's you know KO you know, KO people in his own and a director, a very very capable director. Uh, these are good, good, good people. And uh, someone asked me before, you know, oh, well, he's never made it. You know, he's not done, you know, done small movies. It's like, fuck off. You know, yeah. you know how difficult it is to get in big Absolutely. movies. You know how, yeah, you know how expensive it is to live in Los Angeles. You know, to maintain a lifestyle uh, with a family, uh, to, and how lucky you have to be to be able to do that through your art. If you can, you know, if you can do that. That's 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 the achievement. Mm. If yeah, you know, if the films are B movies, C movies, are D movies, it sucks. But mm. we all know that can change with one fantastic role or one. You there's know, a, there's an interesting uh, scene in the film where he, he pops into a video shop and manages to get hold of his the poster. My, it's of one of my favourite scenes. Um, I mean, what, was that sort of like a personal thing for you? Was that, you know, the idea all of us, of all of us, came up with it. It was it was in it was in the script before, mm. and it was a low budget film. Because remember, uh, Jerry Trimble, who Sue was very much based around, had done 16 movies for, for Ciro Santiago in Philippines and Roger Corman, and never quite, never quite chipped out of it. He's a phenomenal actor in his own right, and a dear friend of mine. I've done six, five or six movies with him, and brought him on as a stuntman for probably three or four others. Uh, and he, he, he was the inspiration. My conversations with him, you know, when we used to go jogging and, and boxing together. Uh, now. He, he had found old posters, an old poster of one of those Serio Santiago movies with a spelling mistake in the poster. And, and, and we just, he, he found it hilarious. We, we both did, and, and it was fun. So we had the scene in the movie. The scene was in the movie. But then it was Scott's idea, why don't we make it a ninja movie? Because he's known for his two ninja movies. And we just loved the, you know, we thought people would enjoy that. You know, I, 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 I think... I saw the film three times with a with a packed theatre. I watched it in Santa Monica and went down. And we were very lucky. It was it was you know it was phenomenally successful in its run, uh, and that and it was obviously a lot of fight fanboys who'd gone to see this movie. And that that particular when it's the ninja movie, he says you were a ninja as well. That's one of the for me. It's the one that gets the belly laugh that you know that really resonates and people kind of get it. I don't know if people who are not familiar with him will find it quite so yeah. funny, but it is it is it is a funny one for me. And you know well, it's what? A, it's, a, it's a nice it's a it's a nice thing anyway. You know the idea. Yeah. Well, if you lived in Hollywood, then like you know, the chances are you probably would have been in a film or something. You know, is at some point. Yeah. Um, now I did hear that the script for the Debt Collector you'd written it quite a while ago. Oh yeah, I wrote that wrote that a long time back. Yeah. Uh, Isaac Florentine had read the script and liked it uh, and wanted to meet me. You know, I hadn't directed at that point uh, and I went out and met him and he was the most gracious, lovely human being. And he still is. He's a, he's one of, he's a true gentleman. He's a man as well. He's not, he's not a, he's not a Hollywood ponce. He's a, he's a real man uh, who, who will call a spade a spade and, 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 you know, will admit to his shortcomings or his, or his, you know, real, you know, real 
proper human being. Uh, and we, we met and chatted and he made a big impression on me as well. And he said, you, you need to meet this fellow countryman of yours, who at the time was 26 years old or something, very young. And he said, Scott Atkins, he's incredible. And so I met him and a few years later, I did a, a very, very low budget for Fox called Pit Fighter and Scott was in town. I had him come in and play a day on it. And we, we chatted together, it was fun. And we had a lot in common. And, he both been stuntmen and both done that, but both wanted something more from from the business creatively. And we said we'll have to work together. And I gave him the script to Debt Collector. He read it and liked it. And a decade or so went by. And then we did Savage Dog. We did Accident Man. And we had a company came to us and said, look, we want to do another one with you. It's Blyberg who did Savage Dog, who give me enormous artistic freedom. A fantastic producers, Ahud Blyberg, who I, I just adore working with, and Nick Donemeyer there, who's who's very, very supportive of me as a filmmaker. So you'll do these films for a little less money, but you have control. And it's a very rare, a rare sort of factor in, 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 these, in Hollywood. Uh, and Scott said, why don't we do Debt Collector? And I was like, uh, fuck, that, that thing's got dust on it. I think it mentions telexes and faxes. No one has cell phones. It's like, we can't do that. Well, that's, that's interesting you mention that because the film is quite timeless. I mean, yeah, you know, the, totally, the, yeah. Louis Carr, which is this sort of... It's, it's try to, <laughs> to modernise it a bit. We try, then, try to bring it up to date. Stu, Stu Small came in and did a very, very good pass on it. But, I mean, you know, you, you downplayed all the... You know, sort of modern gadgets and things like that, which I suppose a character like Sue isn't That's really like going to be involved. Uh, why would he want that? Why, how, how would he pay the bills? Where would the bills be spent? He doesn't have internet. What he doesn't have a he doesn't have a formal address. He wouldn't be able to. You know, it would be it would be disastrous. You know. So the, I mean, the name Sue. Where, where did that come from? Johnny Cash. It was the Johnny Cash yeah. song. Yeah, I was obsessed with Johnny Cash. This script was initially called Walk the Line. Oh. You know, and I knew about the Gregory Peck movie, and I, yeah. I just I loved it. You're walking a line between good and evil. Yeah, you're not sure. Yeah, you're not sure where you are. You, you know, you, you're always walking that line. It only takes a, a cough or a hiccup, and suddenly you've become a motherfucker, or you've, or you've proved your, earned your wings. You know, and uh, for me, that's interesting. That's interesting. You're, you're, you're dealing with human humans, and ev everyone, to the smallest degree, can encapsulate where they are on that particular stage in their life by a couple of decisions they made earlier on. You know. Mm where they could have done this or that. And, and I, think, I think it's good to make movies about that subject. It's timeless. There's one thing which I'd be remiss to mention, and all I've written on the thing is the cows, question mark. Well, the, cow, the cows were in the, uh, in the original script. Uh, they were a throwback to me and coming up through movies and wanting to give the audience a visceral shock that they took away from the film. There's nothing to do with the performance. The performance were fantastic. The, the, the shock of, of death, of something stunning and disturbing. You know, uh, Eisenstein did it when they had the strike sequence, you know, and all the strikers come up against the, uh, the, the Russian army and they cock their guns. You see figures, fingers on triggers and they fire, bang, 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 bang. And you cut to real cows getting shot with real bullets and they fall down. And you're profoundly affected by that because you saw real death. You knew what happened in the movie. It's a metaphor. You see it in Apocalypse Now when they chop the head off the cow. And I wanted something to just fucking take the audience and shake them by the head so that they remember this. And I wanted to do something you couldn't do in a big movie. And so you see a fucking whore. You know, so you, see, you see a cow get, get killed and it's real blood and it goes down. I didn't do it for the movie. It was, it was footage that I acquired of a cow that was turned into hamburger many years ago. It was certainly not. It was certainly not anything I, I arranged, and, and I have mm. I have to admit I think I have PTSD from going through all that stock footage. It was it was really grueling, yeah. 
But that was it. That was purely it. It was to take the audience by the nose and smack them and give them something because we've all seen blood hits before. We've all seen guys get hit. I try to make really juicy blood hits that are nice and big. And I, 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 I loathe blood hits that are done with CG. I hate muzzle flashes that are done with CG. I don't care about whether the muzzle flash is realistic or not because, of course, CG can be real. It's the actor's face. It's the, it's the composure. It's the dust that falls down from the ceiling when the gunfire goes off. But mainly it's the actor. But what I wanted to do with all of that was to leave the audience affected in a way that they had felt they'd seen, you know, real death. You know, not going to like the faces of death, but just, you know, leave them with something. And to a degree, it worked. <laughs> to a degree, it didn't. Who knows? People, people come to you and they're confused. I'll leave that one to you to come up with. The, the, the truth of the matter is, is not that I don't like sequels. I adore sequels. <laughs> Godfather Part 2, uh, French Connection Part 2. These are films that were better than in the first movie, and there's many others as well. Empire Strikes Back, I adore it, by the way. But the, the, there's, you know, my particular sequel that I directed, I did not like the Green Street Hooligans Part 2, but I did my best. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the, uh, the guys were fantastic in it. Yeah. I, uh, we just had a untenable situation with the location, not looking like England. You know, it should have, it should have been a Greek island, you know, a prison on a Greek island. Anyway, I, I have no problem with sequels, but what I do have a problem with is B movies, or in this, whether you qualify this as a B or a, a C plus or whatever, non-studio movies that are desperately trying to look like big movies. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like feeling you've taken the audience. This is a predictable thing. Yeah. Setting ourselves up for the sequel. There's money coming in. No, fuck off. This is a film that is not a low budget big movie this is a film that stands on its own two feet as a movie and you know what you're going to walk away thinking about the film and i'm going to stick in your head i'm going to get caught in your core and i don't mind doing that and it's not it's not a miniature john wick that's been shot for less than a million dollars it is not a miniature avengers that's been shot for a million dollars this is a film that stands on its own feet as a piece of drama and entertainment that that speaks for itself and, yeah. and I'm not trying to compete with a hundred million dollar studio movie no fuck no that would be stupid that would be foolish I don't have a, I don't have the special effects or the guns or the stuntmen or the, or the, or the name talent so I'm going to make a film that competes with those movies because and purely because it goes where they can't go yeah. with the dead cow with the strange ending with the fact that we don't set ourselves up for a sequel all of these things are what I'm proud of and what, what I think are the strengths of this kind of movie mm. I may be wrong, I may prove to be completely out of my mind, but we can do them. And we have a producer who's allowing us to do these kind of movies and we'll keep doing them. If we have to come back to this because I can't get anything else that's as good in the future, then you know what, I'll just revive them like Sergio Leone did and they'll come back <laughs> and I won't even explain what happened. Yeah. yeah. I just want to sort of finish up with uh, just running through names by you, really. Uh, the first one is Luke Fontaine, um, who did your product on the famous one. Luke's one of my dearest, dearest friends. He's he's been my collaborator. My uh, he's hired me in the past as a he's when he's coordinated. And I'm a stuntman. We've gone backwards and forwards. 20 years on now in movies. Uh, he knows more than most people will ever forget when it comes to sword work. His dad worked for the Met in the sword department. Luke has an obsession with, with 
has an obsession with samurai movies and, and martial arts movies and foreign foreign action movies uh, that is borderline mm. uh, encyclopedic so I, I love having him around he's he helps me immense amount also kicks me in the butt when I'm doing anything lazy as a director uh, and and mm. just just very good you know very, very good collaborator you have you know this film is a collaboration and my team I expect them to work. I expect mm. them to chip in. I expect them to come up. I expect them to tell me when I'm doing something that's dumb. And I, I like that. I like that environment. There's no sure. dictatorship where where I'm mm. concerned. You know. Now, there's three names that any anyone would you know worth their sort of DTV soul would be very familiar with: Michael Paré, Tony Todd, and Vladimir Kulich. Um, all in this film. I mean, how, how did you get hold of these guys? Uh, I usually my go-to. Uh, wonderful African-American has been Keith David for the longest mm. time and I adore him and he's, he's so much more than uh, he seems to be known for. He's just an incredible character but he was busy on a TV show on this one and uh, uh, it, the part was written for him mm. and it was structured around him and the way he spoke because I'm very familiar with it now. I worked with him first yeah. in 2012 on The Fifth Commandment. Uh, and we're good friends, and he's a he's a huge film fan, and I I kind of know how he talks, uh, and I you know it certainly wasn't just because of the color at all. It's far more than that. So with talent and and his his ability as an artist, uh, and my managers had worked with Tony Todd before, and they said, mm -hmm. "How about Tony?" We you know, and I was very familiar with his work, and yeah. you know, Candyman, but also other work that he done, which you know, which uh, which, which played TV show these ones and. I do like him, and 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 he was brilliant. He was yeah. he was actually more Barbosa than anyone else I could imagine. You know, when it came down to it, Michael Parry, I've worked with before. I did a uh, proof of concept for Lobo, a, a DC comic, and uh, worked very hard on that. And Michael Parry came in, you know, and did me a really really good favor on that one. It was brilliant. And I said, I'm going to work together. You know, we'll do something down the line. We'll work together. And so I had a chance to bring him on on this one, just a small part. We're going to do something. We'll keep it. We'll, you know, we'll do something big together. Vladimir, I met uh, through Matthias Hughes, uh, and Vladimir, I was very familiar with because of the Thirteenth Warrior, and I remember that character. He stuck in my head. I wanted to do something with this character at some point, like Vernon Wells. You know, I, when I used to draw storyboards as a kid in England, you know, trying to discover what I was going to do in myself, I always had the Mad Max Mohawk. You know, in those, and finally, when I had a chance, I hired him for three movies in a row. I, I adored him, but. Vladimir was a little like that. I'd seen the Thirteenth Warrior, and I wanted to, I wanted to work with this guy. Uh, and he came on on Savage Dog and was brilliant. Gave a very, very sensitive performance that had to be cut way down because the film ended up being about eight hours long. Uh, and he did me the honor of coming in and working on this one. You know, playing Big Tommy. You know, yeah, because Tommy's an interesting character because he's one of the one of those few bosses who actually stands by his word and yeah. stands by his men. You know, he's, he's very old school. Fascinating human. He, remind, he, he reminds me of the saying that, you know, looking into the mouth of the dragon for too long and you become the dragon, you know? Yeah. And I felt, I felt he'd become, you know, he, he's done it for too long. He's almost, he's almost gone over to the dark side. And, yeah. and those bloody blue eyes were great, weren't they? Do you see the shot we got where John put the light in from the side and they just yeah. seemed to glow like a, like a devil? I, I thought, I, I, he's brilliant. I like what he does. Uh, I work, you know, all three of those. I'm, yeah. There's one lucky to work with. One other guy I want to mention, um, sort of relative newcomer, I guess, and that is David William Lowe. And he plays the, the Asian guy who comes in trying to muscle in on the dojo at the beginning. 
David's great. He worked with us on Savage Dog, did a phenomenal fight scene, and then harangued me, cornered me, and said, you've got to give me more acting work on the next one. You've got to give me more acting. I can really act. And I, I, I got all these movies and short films and, and, and things that he'd done. And David, <laughs> David's a hustler. He's a very, very intelligent human being. Because well, really, um, you know. um, on the podcast, we've just done a, a short special. Um, one of the ones was um, the latest blindsided film. We placed the baddie in that. And, um, sort of the main henchman, and he was great. You know, he really good. Was, so, yeah. so as soon as I saw his name, I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's he's one to watch. He's yeah, he's very good, and yeah. uh, and he came in and did that. Luke loved him. Luke has worked. I think Luke did Blindsided as well. You know, oh. with with Clayton and those old friends of ours. Um, one of my friends, one, one of my colleagues on the podcast, wanted me to ask, um, and he kind of mentioned it earlier, what it was like trying to make Green Street 2 look like it was filmed in England. Oh, it's just brutal. It was brutal. And I'd gone to the company at the beginning and said, look, you know, it's 108 degrees this year, summer. It's it's a really hot summer. I replaced the director on that. I replaced him two weeks before production. He walked off. And I think he walked off because he said, how can we make it look like England? Uh, And we're in a prison in Southern California in the hottest time of the year, palm trees everywhere. And I said, look, we should make this Greece or, you know, Spain or something like that. Anywhere like that where you'd have a, sense, yeah, you have a prison and you like stick them in there. Yeah. And they said, no, no, Lionsgate UK requires that it be set in England. It's very, very odd. But, you know, one does what one has to do. And I'd just done a film called Charlie Valentine, which was a act of love for me. Mm. And I'd ended up, I think, with about four grand in my bank account, something like that, because I paid for stuntmen, I paid for guns and blanks and permits and things that the production couldn't pay for. And it was all great while we were making the movie and suddenly you, you're editing and you realize, oh, that's, there's no more money coming in. Uh, and they and they offered me the, the Green Street movie and they were, in, they were in a crunch because they had to deliver and got rid of someone. So it was quite a good paycheck, if I remember correctly. And you jump in and you do it. But I do remember I had a coffee with Ross McCall, a very, very capable actor who I love, also English. And he said, I know my reason for being here. What's yours? And I said, I think it's very similar to yours. <laughs> Because he'd just come out of a horrible relationship, yeah. and so you know, it, it was a yeah, it was a one of those moments. But listen, you that script was beyond bad, and every day we worked with the actors mm-hmm. to try and bring it up to the next level. It was a beautiful experience. It was really one of those joyous experiences with with actors and, and trying to make something good. Now, did we bring it to the point where it became a great movie? Not, of course not. But it's one I'm certainly not ashamed of because I know where it started. You know. Yeah. And uh, in a short time, we, we made it into something, and it felt a little emotional. But you move on, you know. You can't you can't dwell on dwell on these sort of you know. Every once in a while, you get a nosebleed. Every once in a while, you you knock the other guy out, you know. And that's our interview with Jesse Johnson. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, apologies for the sound quality of my side of the conversation. Um, next time, we will be reviewing two films, both of which are called Genesis. Uh, that'll be me and Rich. And also, me and Will will be taking a look at an Australian horror movie called Out of the Shadows. So, thank you for listening and tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time. <laughs>